Welcome to another episode of Sweet Valley Online. This week, we're discussing Sweet Valley Twins number 39, Jessica and the Money Mix-Up. I'm Wing. I'm really tired of all these stories about missing money that's not actually missing in Sweet Valley, and I'm still waiting on werewolves. I'm here with my not-so-evil twins, Dove and Raven. I'm Dove, and I was somewhat disappointed by the first entry of Team Grapplegate. I'm Raven, and uh, if you have any spare money that you would like not to go missing, you can send it to me in cash, and I'll look after it for you. Once again, people work themselves into a tizzy over money that's not actually missing. I literally just went through this with the last book I recapped, number 36, Mary is Missing. And that book at least had some great Ellen and Amy moments for their ship. This book has nothing. Basically, Alice is out of town for work, Ned is busy for work, and Jessica decides that she has to prove that she's responsible after a whole bunch of things that show she's not responsible. A whole bunch of things like every book we've recapped so far and probably every book to come. But, you know, no big deal. Despite the fact that everyone knows she's not responsible, Ned trusts her with $500 that he raised at work for some charity. His law firm is allegedly very successful. I would expect far more than $500 from lawyers in this event, but okay, whatever. Jessica, of course, gets distracted as she's taking this money over to the guy who is the treasurer for the group that he's working with. This time, she's distracted by Carolyn Pierce, who has the latest gossip about Bruce Patman. Apparently, Brucey's taking a date to the big skating event that's coming up. And Jessica ends up not being able to deliver the money. Not to worry, though, she'll be best... Not to worry, though, she'll become best Jess and fix this on her own. She'll get up early and drop the money off then. Forgetting... I guess, that she hates to get up early. Now, in order not to get caught, she has to hide the money. She could hide it in her bedroom, which is so messy that no one could find anything in it anyway, except for maybe Stephen in her underwear drawer. But no, she has to hide it somewhere better. In a tennis racket case. In a closet that's never used. Way up on the top shelf. Nothing could go wrong here, except the next morning, the tennis racket bag and the money, gone. I know, right? Who saw that going? Jessica goes through some madcap and yet somehow still boring schemes to get them back, including pretending to be a server at a country club. And she tries to replace the money, either by winning it from a big radio competition or by earning it, because odd jobs, Jessica and Elizabeth Wakefield always work well together. Elizabeth will never, never learn. She can't find the money, even when she finds the tennis racket case. She almost wins the radio contest. Until she answers a thousand bucks instead of a dozen bucks because she's thinking too hard about all the money she's about to win. And Jessica and Elizabeth earn less than a hundred dollars the week that they're doing their odd jobs. Clearly, they're screwed. But wait, Ned had the missing money all along. He 
found it and decided to prove a point. But then he lost it. Jessica finds it and she decides to prove a point because Wakefield. There's also this strange, weird focus on their gym class, learning the art of running, which is mostly foreshadowing for the next book in which Danny is this great track star, but it adds nothing here except for word count. And in no real point except for uh, lack of continuity that will be explored in the next book when Dove leads us in that podcast episode, Jessica spends a lot of this book trying to come up with a list of things that she'll spend her radio prize money on. One of those is uh, silver earrings that she's been wanting to buy. You'll see why that's not cool. So in much shorter summary, the money's missing. The money's not missing. Everyone is a bag of dicks. The end. (laughs) Nice. A very fair summing up, I think. Yeah, I think that was one of those books that's a lot of faffing for very little. Um, What book did I recap last? Because I felt like I had the same issue. The one that it took me about 15 minutes to summarise because there were so many little things going on, but nothing happened. That could have literally been any of them. Well, that's true. I do think your last episode, yeah, it was quite... The summary was very long, not because there was a great plot that took forever to summarize, but because there were 50 little things that didn't really go together. Was it the war between the twins? I think it might have been, even though that was a good book. That one did take me ages to summarize. It got very bitty. Yeah, if, if, if you listen closely, we can still hear you summarizing it now. <laughs> in the distance, in the background... You're a funny, funny man. Oh, oh, no, hang on, hang on. No, if no, I've listened a little closely. It's actually you just still listing the books that you're looking forward to in 2018. <laughs> <laughs> now that was good callback. Boom. That's for the people who've listened to more than one of our podcasts. Oh, <laughs> Rosie! Hey, Rosie! Because she always freaks out when we say her name. Yeah. So. On the other hand, I'm sure we do have other listeners too. Of course so we do. If you would like us to say your name, just let us know. We are happy to list names and not talk about the book, clearly. We have detailed numbers on the amount of people who download the podcasts, and currently it's around 15. So, well done, you guys. I like the fact that one of those people is in Iceland or something like that. That's exciting. Maybe they're on VPN. Yeah, maybe it's me, come to think of it. (laughs) Awesome. Got your hopes up, didn't you? (laughs) Excellent. 15 people download it, 14 of them are on the podcast. (laughs) we do use a vpn that jumps us from country to country so possibly i am yes 14 of those 15 is this a record Uh, is this the quickest we've ever just just moved away from the book and not bothering talking about it i think it might be well wings already summarized it what more do you want from us yeah okay you have been listening too (laughs) (laughs) i mean i will say even the recap of this i go off about billable hours Clearly, there was nothing really great going on in this book when I took the time out to read about the book talking about billable hours and then talking about billable hours myself and then crying a little bit because both those things happened. 
Yeah. Well, I think it's okay that we're bitching about this because I always feel really awkward um, knowing that t- uh, this is book one of Team Grapplegate, although we we are fairly certain that they also wrote um, The Christmas Ghost, which we've done and we all loved, um, because this book is is rubbish. But on the plus side, Michael Grant freely admits that the, the outline was just a nightmare to work with anyway. So I don't think if you ever say to either Michael Grant or Catherine Applegate, what are you most proud of? They're going to go Jessica and the money mix up. Yes, because I sit there and chat with them often and we'll just be there. Hey, what do you think about Jessica and the money mix up? No, no, that's definitely Dove hanging out and talking with these uh, superstar writers. Yep. Catherine Applegate gives me no love. It's it's just it's just my. Well, I mean, you want the moon on a stick, don't you? Bloody hell! Pretty much, <laughs> yeah. And the rest of the planets what covered in glitter. Enough. I want them all, all of them. Everyone needs to talk to me, to me, to me, to me. This is because you grew up in a posh town, isn't it? You too learned that you have to be the center of the world. I see so much here. I see so much. I did wear a lot of purple when I was Jessica's age. <gasps> all right. Jessica. Okay, we're 12 minutes into the podcast and we've got literally nothing. <laughs> <laughs> we've got the, re, uh, the, 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 the recap, the summary, and then nonsense. Let's, 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 let's go back to the beginning and see if we can talk about the book. Only if you agree <laughs> to leave in the nonsense. <laughs> of course. If I took out the nonsense for all the other podcasts, there'd be about three minutes listening time, to be honest. Well, all right, fair <clears> enough. <throat> um, okay, yeah, so... I think actually that's a good point that Dub has just made. Knowing that it's the first book in this list of Team Grapplegate books, I probably had higher expectations than I should have. Because really, if I take a step back and look at this, it's still worse than all the other books about missing money. I mean, it's not great. It is not a good book. It's not a fun story. But it's no worse than the others. It's no Ithig, for example. Please don't mention that book. Besides which, German Gymnast Team is my num- uh, number one worst book ever so far. Yeah, well, you're wrong. It's Ithig. Ithig is shorter. Or Shithagorta. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for that. You just give me flashbacks. I didn't think it'd go that far that fast. Anyway, it is no worse than the other books about missing money, but because I know that these are really good authors as J.B. Suzanne, I expect more, even knowing that their hands are tied because of the outline. So had I not known that, I might have just been like, eh, this is same old, same old. Except for the billable hours part, in which I still would have shouted a lot, because why is the book talking about billable hours? I mean, you're very down on this book. I too thought it was a big pile of meh. But there are things in this that I quite liked. You mentioned in the in the summary that you gave that you didn't appreciate the stuff about running. But I thought that was the first time in a while that they've actually put some thought into seeding the next book. And I appreciated that. I thought that was well done. Even though it didn't bring anything to this story, which is a shame, it was well handled for what it was. I think it works as foreshadowing, but I don't think it adds anything to this book. And I really need the foreshadowing kind of stuff to do double duty. Or at least I could have handled it if it was more like there's a scene where they're in gym class learning how to run. And then there's a scene where Elizabeth takes what she's learned and applies it to watching Danny run, which is really what's what seeding the next book, in, which is Danny Means Trouble. That part where she's watching him and thinking about all of these 
really difficult things that she learned and applying it to him. I could have taken that, but it's the fact that it seems like we have all these pointless scenes where they're in class and they're doing this and they're doing that and read this book and that part, I just, it did nothing for me. I liked the foreshadowing with Danny himself. I think Raven makes a good point, though, because when that happens in Making Out or Gone, we're so much more forgiving. I mean, there might be a scene in Gone that doesn't come up for another, like, 300 pages, and we're fine with that because it's a much better story overall. But this was a rubbish story, so anything that was seen in the next book was just like, just don't be there. I want to get through this as quick as possible because it's not very good. So possibly that's it. Like, you know, Making Out and Gone are both, good series and i appreciate them peppering in what's coming next but with this it's just a bit annoying because you just want to get get it over with wing also makes a, a good point in that this didn't seem like a story overall it seemed like a a, a selection of non-interconnected scenes it was very sort of scattergun which is probably the fault of the the outline especially if Michael Grant himself has admitted that they weren't particularly enamoured with it. It could have been a case of, well, just throw all these things in. These are the, these are the new guys to the to the writing team. We don't know who they are, so we'll give them as much guidance as we can, and we'll tell them four or five different things that they should write about. And of course, they're coming to the new job thinking, well, we should write what the guys at the publishing house want because that's what they've employed us to do. So I'm looking forward to the the the. the the books in which they are slightly more laissez-faire about the whole thing and say, yeah, screw this, we can we can throw these bits away rather than have to write about them because that makes for a much more focused story, one would hope. Yeah, that's because that's what they did. Um, well, that's what he said in the Q&A session, that uh, they did reach a point where they were just like, yeah, we'll take the vague theme of this, but we're going to do our thing. And uh, there's a notable imp- improvement when they do that like i think jessica's secret is one of the better books of the series so um excellent i'm uh, looking forward to that one that should be good yeah but for now it's just a bit sort of like yes we are writing to spec and the spec isn't very good and it sort of leading us to dance all over the place and make a bit of a mess so what other books uh, dove are you looking forward to in the series be aware that we've only got an hour I hate you. 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 But very quickly, in the Grapplegate run, Jessica's Secret, Carnival Ghost, Mademoiselle Jessica, um, Mandy Miller Fights Back, Elizabeth the Impossible, Slime That Ate Sweet Valley, and done. Oh, Booster Boycott. Are you just listing off the next books in order? Because it really sounds like you're just listing off books in order at this point. Nope, I skipped Amy Moves In, Lucy Takes the Reins, Jessica's New Look. Did I skip that? I did. Twins Little Sister and Jessica and the Secret Star. Except you literally just listed them. So, so much for skipping this. I think both Wing and I'll be skipping when you finish the list, to be honest. So. <laughs> well, don't ask me these bloody questions. Like, you know what I'm like. You've just made a fucking joke of it. Don't ask me because I will go into great detail just to piss you off. I appreciate your brevity this time. Thank you very much, Duff. So we lasted Get about stuffed. 30 seconds talking about the books. <laughs> Record. So what what did we like about it? Surely there was something. Let's let's not be negative. Let's not let's not be negative Nancy's. Let's pick some nice things that we thought were good. Wing, go. 
I don't believe in being forced to be nice about things that I don't like. I'm not forcing you. I'm... However, <laughs> I did like some things. Uh, I really love, there's this little bit of a scene as Jessica's trying to get close to the tennis racket bag, which they track down to the owner has it at a country club. Uh, I really liked how she pretends to be a waiter to get closer to it. She struggles a lot. Uh, there's this whole aside about how he, the guy recognizes her as, you know, Jessica Wakefield, or at least as a Wakefield, though he correctly guesses Jessica. They talk about it. He's very sorry, but the money was never in there, blah, blah, blah. But I really like about how even just that little bit of insight into what it's like to be a working person. She's like, oh, my God, that's so hard. Leave a great tip. Of course, it's not her money that she's leaving as a tip, but <laughs> she does recognize that this is a lot of work. They deserve payment, which I thought was surprisingly nuanced for a Sweet Valley book. Yeah, that that was my favorite bit as well. Like when I was scanning it in, I did actually sort of like tweet a little clipping of it because it was like, oh my God, Jessica was nice. She acknowledged that the working classes aren't something to sneer at. They're something to sort of appreciate. Having followed Michael Grant on Twitter for a while now and knowing his own personal opinions about things like that, I think that was definitely straight from his playbook. Well, did you see his tweet the other day, um, which was the last day he, he and Catherine were cleaning toilets? Yes, before they, they got their first uh, writing job, yeah. Yeah, so they do come from a very sensible background. That's and... delightful to know. Yes. The other thing I sort of entertained by the fact that, once again, Elizabeth agrees to go into business with Jessica, because this always goes so well for everyone involved. And immediately from their first job, Jessica's like, oh, I just need to pop by the unicorn meeting to tell him I'll be late or tell them why I can't be here. And then next thing you know, Elizabeth's done all of the work. Because who's surprised by that? Why? Why do you keep doing this, Elizabeth? I am so waiting for Elizabeth to go, no, actually, you know what? This this is your mess. So you go and be me and I'll go and be you at the unicorn club. and." We'll keep it quick and I'll be back in five minutes. And that would either stop that shit or Elizabeth could really abuse it and go, ha, isn't it fun? Isn't it fun being you? And doesn't it suck being me? But we're not getting that plot line for a very long time. I'm not sure I actually want a spoiler, but does that actually happen? Um, As far as I know, not until Sweet Valley High. So does it really count as a spoiler when it's like five years no. away? No. No, because I'll have forgotten by then. <laughs> <laughs> and the world, and or the world will have ended in a giant fiery comet. Of oh, so either way. actually, no. Um, occasionally there are supernatural books where Elizabeth is under the influence of something. And so it's not so much that she's shirking and being Jessica in a, oh, you do it for me, winning smile, but more in a, she's in deep trouble and Jessica is actively covering for her. That oh. happens several times in Twins. And Jessica, um, you know, realises that it's it's not fun being the one who's constantly setting the table and taking the trash out and cooking a roast dinner because Alice is tired. Uh, but there's also an air of protection about her, which is really nice. I too, that sounds like a good sibling relationship, but I'm looking forward to those. I'm taking it resets at the end of the book and she's back to being a bag of dicks into the next one. That's oh, true. That's how she rolls. Yeah, yeah. That's how the... I guess that's how series like this rolls. You can't have huge change and you can't have, you know, 500 books in the same mm, world. True. 
I mean, it's, uh, this this book is weird. My I've got a bit of a love hate relationship with Jessica, um, a bit like Stephen, obviously, <laughs> for this book because I, I do like Jess when she's scheming and she's coming up with good ideas and the whole the hoop she jumps through to try and get the money back is actually quite entertaining. It's ridiculous. It's like when they're hiding in the bush by the tennis courts, sort of trying to find, grab the grab it grab the um trying to grab the tennis racket while there's a break in play and stuff like that. It's just ludicrous. Or pretending to be a waitress. So I really enjoyed that aspect. But then there's that old helping hands debacle where she's doing the usual stuff that I hate, which is, oh, I can't do this, I can't help you. I've got a unicorn meeting. You just do that. And that's just like, oh, fuck off, Jess. If you agree to these things, try and follow through with them, at least for the book. Because she's in a bad way in this book. She needs to find this money because it's all going to come down on her. And the fact that they put a plan in place to get that back and save her bacon and Elizabeth is doing that to help her, I think that should have made more of an impression on her. I will say I do give them a little pass because Jess was randomly convinced that she was going to win the contest, the radio contest money. So I can sort of... I can sort of make peace with the fact that she she was her usual shirking self because she had plan B. She was putting all her money on plan B there. So fair again. Fair to be fair to her there, uh, they did actually practice the competition. Um, Elizabeth would put a, um, the needle down on the record. Bless. Um, and give her like 10 seconds of a song and Jessica would have to work out what it was. So they did practice for that as well. But also something I just want to share is um, Raven reads these books on his lunch uh, on a Kindle because I scan them in and convert them for him because I I think judgments would be made for a 43-year-old man sitting in the canteen reading Sweet Valley Twins. Wouldn't bother me at all, Um, but thank you for your diligence. And um, every lunchtime, he texts me his thoughts. And on this particular book, he just sent, all in capitals, fucking ask Lila. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know what? That's a really good point. Holy shit. Yeah. Lila would have sorted her out. I mean, she'd have probably asked for interest and made her life miserable for her. But that could have been the plot of another book. That could have been, you, you know, know what? I would have been fine with that being slave for a day or something book. like that. That would be great. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, that could uh, slave. I think. Oh, no, it's called yours for a day. But um, yeah, that that is a plot Steve as well. Steve's not the uh, slave master, is he? <laughs> but you're right. That that would have been a much, much better story of. Oh my God, I've lost the money. I have to ask Lila. Now I have to jump through all these hoops for Lila. My life sucks. Dad's still got the money. I'm sort of bouncing between the two and Elizabeth's just watching me going <laughs> that would have been great or even if I think I would have liked this better if it just hadn't felt like a retread of so many things there's missing money that's not really missing there's uh doing this odd jobs that's clearly Jessica's going to shirk off had they got rid of that point I might have been able to handle missing money that's not really missing because I really did like the sleuthing part of it you reminded me that as you talked about it, her crawling through the bushes is hilarious. They're like trying to sneak around in the country club. Also very funny. Like all of that was fun. And the radio contest thing was fun and hilarious how she lost it. But it was the part where everything that felt all of its repeated plots, all of these things have happened before. That just all together being everything as a repeated plot was just too boring. It was too pointless. There's one thing I would like to mention about the radio plot 
I'm going to give it credit here because it was one of the first times where the Wakefields didn't win. So I was really True. pleased to see that. Now, if you remember watching Toy Story back in the day when that came out, I enjoyed Toy Story a lot. And one of the best things I thought about Toy Story was, if you remember the film, this will be spoilers for Toy Story. I presume people have seen it because it was in the 90s when it came out. Um, there's a point where Woody gets hold of a match and puts it in his holster. And there's a rocket tied to the back of Buzz. And when Woody picks up this match, about two-thirds of the way through the film, and puts it in his holster, I was watching it and I immediately thought, they're going to use that match. That's going to be... The, they're going to light the rocket, they're going to fire Woody off uh, and Buzz together, and they're going to be it saved via that match. And that was what was going to happen because that's how narrative works. That's how story... When, they concentra- when a film or a book concentrates on a small insignificant thing, like putting a match in a holster, you know that's what's going to happen. And if you remember, what happens is... They're on a car, little um, radio-controlled car, trying to chase um, Andy's parents and Andy in, in their moving vehicle. And the batteries run out of the car. And then all of a sudden, Woody's like, the match! I've got the match! I can light it! And me watching it was thinking, yes, that's what's going to happen. That's been building since he put the match in the, uh, in the holster. And he gets the match out, he strikes it on the pavement, and a car goes past and extinguishes the match. And I was... I was actually gobsmacked at that point because that's not how stories work. I was surprised. I was entertained. And yes, of course, they managed to find another way to get themselves out of the situation they were in. But that was all new and interesting from that point onwards. And when they started mentioning the radio show in this book, I had the same feeling. I'm like, well, that's what's going to win. Jessica's going to get a call. She's going to win the money. Yeah, Wakefield's win. Marvellous. And lo and behold, she did get that call, and then she screws it up right at the end, and that's not the way they're saved. So I had that same sort of feeling. I was I was quite impressed by that bit. That was a nice, clever change. The Wakefields always win, almost always win, and to not have it there. And also, a thousand bucks versus a dozen bucks, that was just, it was perfect. She's so, I'm going to win, I'm going to have a thousand bucks, I'm going to... I'm going to fuck this up for me because I couldn't focus for five seconds. It was perfect. Also, and can I just point out that a dozen bucks sounds really fucking weird. Like, I can't imagine that being a catchy song. It just doesn't roll off the tongue. It's not a natural, like, you know, oh, I feel like a dozen bucks today. It's it's just not a state. It's not. Johnny Buck's not very talented. No, I can imagine the video for that. You know, really sort of 80s graphics with with special effects that show more than one of Johnny Buck doing things together in a really bad way because <laughs> it's only the 80s and we can't actually do that yet. Yeah, so, that sounds yeah. terrifying and, and true. That's probably exactly what it would have been. Yeah. So there were things in this book that I did enjoy, to be fair. Sure, they were little one-off pieces. Uh, and like I said, the more we talk about it, the more I don't hate it as much as I did. I was just so bored while recapping it. As you can tell, because I went off into bullet points after the billable hours little moment <laughs> i found it weird that ned was all of a sudden some massive work workaholic ogre you know his wife was away and he was like right okay i'm gonna be meh, i'm gonna be horrible to the kids and that it's like that's not you ned i mean even we've had him be busy in other books but he's never been grumpy about it it did uh dove in the her comments on the written recap talks a little bit about generic grumpy work at home like 
grumpy, overworked lawyer. And she's right. It kind of went off into this weird little, this is what you get in this situation. Uh, it, it's not what we normally see. Maybe the grapple gates have the same issues with law- lawyers as we do. Just a thought. Maybe they've met some. And he, he is a guy because, like, male lawyers are the worst for being dicks. Straight white male lawyers, especially that are partners. Yes, they're horrific. I mean, yes, there are some good ones. Don't throw things at us. But, oh, my God. We speak from true, terrible experience here, okay, people? <laughs> yeah. I've been in law firms since, like, 2003. And, yeah, it's we've we've got a lot of years of being shouted at for, like, shit that doesn't matter. The printer's jammed. You there, dove, I'm going to kill you for this. I'm like, yeah, all right, okay, fine. Fuck all to do with me, but... Have a good old yell. She was like, right, if, you, if you're going to blame me for the plinth printer, I'm going to jam it by shoving a cake in it. <laughs> Don't waste the cake. Shove something not good in it. <laughs> at the last law firm I was at, um, which I've referred to as Dodge and Burrow, um, we used to have baking Tuesdays, and each Tuesday someone new would bring in the baking. We had a rotor. It was very organised. And there used to be a person, I'll call her Sloan, who used to always come in and just pick the icing or the frosting or the chocolate or the decoration off the cake and walk off. And it was gross because Sloan was one of those scrotty people who actually had sex with her boyfriend in the boardroom once during working hours and you're like you just don't look like a girl who's ever washed her hands and it was really gross and so um my my work bff and i actually made a sign and it went on it was on an a3 page and it was like please do not prod poke pick bits off breathe on smell uh poke disassemble um and basically we used the thesaurus option and used pretty much every version of touch and then or otherwise disturb this cake. And she came over to it and the hand came out ready to break off the icing rose that was on it. And she saw the sign and she went, well, there's no need to be rude. It's like, well, there's no need to fucking break pieces off a cake. And after that, she would not join the baking rotor. And it was a fucking win. But um, yeah, lawyers suck. She was a she had a law degree. She wasn't a lawyer. We wouldn't take her on. She was too thick. But sh- she'd tell anyone who would listen that she had a law degree. It's like, well, in a law firm, how unique. It's not just lawyers being shit to uh, the people who support them. Lawyers are shit to other lawyers, too. So it's just a giant shit sandwich. Getting out of law firms was such a great plan. <laughs> I will quickly put my hands up and say I love my law firm, um, <laughs> just in case anyone I know is listening to this. I, I love my current law firm. Please don't fire me. I love you. I love parts of my last law firm, but I, I love being a lawyer generally. But usually the worst part of being a lawyer is dealing with other lawyers. So <laughs> And billable but, hours. Well, yes, but I don't have those now. So now the worst part of being a lawyer is dealing with other lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, thank God that we're billable hours. Yeah, so once again, we've gone way off on a tangent. Do you have thoughts about lawyers, Raven? I have no thoughts about lawyers. Uh... Ravens work for a law firm. We worked for the same one when I moved up to uh, Yorkshire. Yes. Yes, I know that. That's why I was asking if he has opinions on lawyers. Well, I'm assuming that our three listeners probably don't know that. I mean, Rosie might, but, you know. (laughs) 
So, I mean, let's go back to the book and let's talk about Billable Hours for a second. What bit was that in? I don't remember that at all. I remember that more from your recap wing about you just going, Billable Hours, grah! It was very brief, I'll admit. <laughs> at that point, I was so bored and I still have such a knee-jerk reaction to people talking about Billable Hours that it, my little go-boo moment was not actually warranted. I will fully admit that. It, it was a social studies project. I think it was Ms. Arnett got them to write down how oh, they spend right. their time all yeah, day just to see. it was a time and motion thing. Yeah. And they said to Stephen, you know, write down what you're on your day. And he was like, four hours of furious masturbation. Watch Jessica. Watch That's Jessica. why he That's needs to eat so much. He needs to keep his strength up. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, so and when, they're, when Jessica, I think, in particular, is complaining about it, Ned goes off on this little bit of tangent that... Uh, you have to really keep track to so you know how to bill your clients correctly and things, blah, blah, blah. Which is, he actually made very good points and also was not super grumpy. So it kind of negated that earlier bit about how, oh, he's so busy. He's such an asshole right now. But I was just like, why? Why are we talking about billable hours? And why am I now talking about billable hours? <laughs> I mean, it is such a point. You do need to keep track of that sort of time in your workday. Whether it's law firm billable hours or some other situation, knowing how long it takes you to do stuff is useful. Uh, it's also super fucking annoying to have to track that kind of stuff. So it was a kind of interesting little conversation. You have just dissed my job so badly. That is literally my job. I look at what people do all day. That is literally my job. I'm so hurt and betrayed and you I'm going to crawl under my desk. You are the one tracking that, though. You take the data that they have tracked and do things with it, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm complaining about the tracking part of it. The stuff that you do from knowing what happens, that's amazing. The actual okay. tracking of every minute that goes into a project is a pain in the ass. Oh, we just have a button on our system. You click it and you start and you type in like which matter code and what you're doing. And then when you finish, you turn it off and then you open another one and yes. tell them what you're doing. We have now. those too, except because you're very likely to do two minutes here and five there and three there that means at some points i'd have like 10 little time clocks run across click 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 jumping from one to another and then having to describe what i did at that time it is a pain in the ass that's true i mean i'll admit i basically start mine at nine o'clock and go am i yeah everyone says do that (laughs) okay let's do a little bit of a time and motion study on this podcast so far (laughs) (laughs) we've done five minutes talking about the book and 25 minutes talking about random bollocks. Yeah, Sweet Valley Online, the law firm edition. (laughs) Oh, dear Lord. Does that mean we have to talk about Ned all the time? (laughs) I've got to say, like, this, the plot is very thin. It's like missing hours, uh, missing money. How do we fix it? Oh, we fixed it. Everything's good. I mean... There wasn't much plot, so it did have to get padded out. And I think that's why we're getting so distracted, because there were so many scenes that were utterly sort of like meaningless because the plot was so small. It's very it's very easy to go wandering off on a tangent because even a boring conversation about how we time record in different law firms is more interesting than that time Caroline Pierce sat down next to Jessica and went, "Ooh, Bruce has got a date." Yeah, I agree. And like, so this is a this is a basic plot: is missing money. How do we solve it? And that has happened multiple times. 
last time though, uh, it was interesting. Like the plot itself, money's missing. How do we solve it? Boring. The plot about Mary disappearing and maybe being kidnapped and the sports of kidnappers, everything that went around that was so fucking entertaining. That did not happen here. So yeah, I think we keep going on tangents because the story itself, there's just not a lot to talk about. I feel like we've had um, a good run of well-written books. Maybe not like back to back, but we did enjoy The War Between the Twins, Mary is Missing, uh, Jessica the Rockstar, um, I Like Jessica's Bad Idea, uh, Wing Like Jessica on Stage. And I feel like these were all the same Jamie Suzanne. So possibly we're also getting used to, we'd gotten used to that Jamie Suzanne and this one's, this is what we know is a brand new set of Jamie Suzanne's and they're just finding their feet and clearly they've been given an outline they didn't like much. So that's a good theory. Uh, you're right, because there is times when we're like, oh, this J.P. Suzanne, we don't like her. This one we want to see more of. And then there was a run where things were more interesting, though. Uh, it seems like right at the end of the year, things were interesting. And as we moved into the new year, uh, they've kind of gone downhill a little bit since. I agree with that. We've we've had a few sort of boring books and I feel really bad because I keep saying, oh, the, you know, the team Grapplegate books are great. And um, obviously this this is the first one and it's not. And I'm sorry. But like I said, I think Jessica's secret is where it turns around for me. That's when it starts to get fun. Uh, one thing I would like to mention about your summary, Wing, was you said that the whole denouement of the book was that Ned found the money and then was keeping it to teach Jessica a lesson. Was that true? I, I thought he just stumbled upon the, the racket and sent it away and didn't realise... Did, did he actually take the money out? Yeah, of it? it fell on his head and he lost his temper and shouted at Stephen. And presumably during this time, he pocketed the money and then kept it to see if Jessica would come clean, which she didn't. And then he forgot about it immediately. No, I don't think he forgot about it. So are you asking, I guess, it's, are you asking why he still had it? Because yeah, I was under the impression when I read it that he he just sort of had the money but made no connection with the $500 that was... Jessica he'd given Jessica so that's why there was no mention of it to her I might be wrong in that yeah he definitely is smug about it she finally admits to him once she has it back she admits to him that she lost it he's smug and tells her yes he found the money too uh, he was waiting to see if she'd come and be honest with him then when he goes to show it to her he's apparently lost it then she gets the smug back like hey he says he found it the first uh, night and he was going to talk to you about it if she came and wanted to see if she'd come to him and then he get, does get a little bit distracted from it with uh, the work that he's so buried under so he might not have let it drag on for a full week or whatever this time frame is but he did oh good I was say it was that he wanted her to come to him I think that might have been a misstep having him mislay the money then because having it as a teaching exercise for Jessica and having him saying well here it is that would have made it a more complete story, I think. Having another layer on that where, oh, no, I've lost the money. Ha-ha, <laughs> Dad, you lost the money too. We all lost the money. That sort of, it waters down the ending to me. If yeah, it, I can see that. Yeah. If he'd have had that 
in his back pocket all the time and was like, well, what have we learned, Jessica? Then that, I think, would have had a stronger a stronger punch at the end. It kind of, having him lose it too, kind of turns everything into a farce. Because she only comes to him because she has it. She knows he lost it and knows that he had it and knows that he knows that it was missing. So that he's all smug with her because he knows that she lost it and blah, blah, blah. And then it's just kind of like this, who has the money? And it's pointless. Another thing about that, just thinking on, when Jessica was like, oh yeah, oh, I sat with Caroline Pierce when she was just waffling about Bruce taking a date to the, the skating thing. So I didn't get to... To, to go over to a random bloke and give him the cash. I'll go around tomorrow morning. I'll get up at six. Who the hell is going to want to have a visit from a kid at that time of the morning? He was getting ready to leave. That's why she had to get up so early. Like, she was going to try to catch him before he left, which, to be fair, is a horrible plan just for so many reasons, including showing up at some stranger's house at 6 a.m. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But she was going to... The plan was to get there before I he suppose, left town. yeah. Yeah, okay, fair enough. As you were. As you were. Okay, so have we finished with this book? Thank God, yeah, yes. Like 30 minutes yes, ago. yes, a world of <laughs> yes. Fair, we haven't really started with this book, have we, sir? Yeah, that's true too. <laughs> I believe it can be agreed that we have all cast our eye over this book. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, we have. This is not one for the reread. Part. Yeah, I don't... I, I mean, if it's lucky, it'll get an honourable mention in our 2018 recap of shittest books ever. But um, probably not even that. Yeah, I don't think it's bad enough to make that list, and I just think it's to be forgotten. It's to be, oh, we read that, did we? Huh, okay. Okay, then. Let's move on to everyone's favourite part of the podcast, Bleak Valley. honestly have nothing here because there's just nothing here so i hope one of you two has something good best i can consider is that poor little bleak elizabeth has been knocked down the stairs again or something and is has actually scared her her um parents and they've laid her out on the couch and there's a cartoon playing in the background and somehow it all falls into her head and makes this bollocks up <laughs> so it's concussion. Just a random fever dream of somebody who's mentally uh, yeah. injured. Concussion <laughs> plus shit storytelling equals this book. See, I've got a little. Wouldn't that be the class trip? <laughs> Wasn't That's that our... Yeah, we've had Yeah, okay, that. that was our Bleak Valley theory for that. Okay. In that case, uh, I'll do my famous. I've got nothing. Or however I say Fantastic. it. Fantastic. I don't know how I say it. Well, okay, let me let me come up with something then, see if I can rescue it from the mire. How about Ned being distracted by work is and being grumpy is Bleak Elizabeth actually letting the reality of her parental abuse start seeping into the fantasies that she's having just a little bit? And maybe she was given a task to do that she didn't do 
much like Jessica was given the task of delivering $500 to random stranger going on holiday. And the family found out about it. Bleak Ned and Alice found out about it quite quickly, that she hadn't done whatever it was. I don't know, clean out the guinea pigs or, or you know, fluff the sibling. Or, fluff or whatever the it sibling! <laughs> so I don't know where that came from. I know sorry. where it came from. It came from Stephen. <laughs> If we were still doing wacky titles, Fluff the Sibling would be hands down the winner. <laughs> okay, so maybe she had to do some random task and then she didn't do it. She neglected to do it and she got massively punished for it. And this book is her trying to come to terms with the things she could have done to make that task happen after the event so the things that she could have done to make sure that she didn't get into the trouble that she was in and by the end of it because everything goes well when the money is eventually found that's her 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 wish her dream that's where she wanted to be but unfortunately the reality is she's there with a a black eye or or something more damaging that she unfortunately couldn't get out of take it it's certainly more than what any of us have it's not our strongest uh, bleak valley by far but that's a valid enough way to take it and it is sad if if bleak valley life has gotten so bad that it's seeping in the sweet valley that much that's pretty sad oh maybe she's the tennis racket because the tennis racket's living under the cupboard in a cupboard under the stairs and maybe when the tennis racket falls over and hits ned on the head that was her reacting to what she's maybe she's talked back to bleak valley ned and gave him gave him a headache or shouted at him and that's why she's in trouble okay that's a much better theory and also hilarious so i say we go with yeah that but it doesn't bleak valley elizabeth bleak valley elizabeth is now a but it also means that she gets given to another family that's where your metaphor yeah well there we go is it that her that's happiness it. yeah that's, That's her, her dream. Best she's given to another family with what she hopes is $500 in her front pocket. She's given to another family who's actually pretty cool throughout. The son who's friends with... I guess we need to step back just a little bit to details we skipped. They have the tennis racket because the son is friends with Stephen. Stephen borrowed it. When it falls on Ned's head, Stephen has to take it back. The son is so helpful when Jessica and Elizabeth show up to ask for it that he lends them another tennis racket, thinking they desperately need it. So isn't you know, he called cool Peter as well? Everyone seems to be called Peter. He is, yeah. Well, Bleak Valley Elizabeth doesn't have a wide exposure of names, okay? Uh, and then when they get to the country club and have this fun little fiasco of waiter and hiding and blah blah blah. The dad of the family is also super helpful and friendly and understanding. So it's clearly this family that she'd be given away to is a much better family. So it really is ideal for Bleak Valley Elizabeth. And maybe another reason why she's a, a tennis racket is that when she's left in the cupboard, they stick a bag on her head, like a tennis racket cover, just to keep her quiet. What if she's actually the $500? She's the $500. Now you're being ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because then that way she doesn't get to leave. And in fact, it's just a case of like, 
um, she's misplaced. So maybe she was hiding from a beating or something. Yeah. Ned had the money all the time and just forgot about it. Yeah. Uh-oh. And she's very replaceable because Jessica's first instinct is to get a new $500. In fact, $1,000. A better one. This is all making so sense. Is, this is the most lighthearted Bleak Valley we've ever had. I like <laughs> yeah, it. so actually the nice family is a complete red herring because that uh, the $500 never gets near it. It's just the vague hope that she could have done. And Bleak Valley Elizabeth will never escape. Mind blown. <laughs> okay, so on that note, should we move oh, on from Bleak I've Valley? I've got one more oh. why she's $500. Okay, as Raven said, when Ned sees the tennis racket, it falls out and bashes him on the head and Ned loses his temper. Now, that wasn't the $500 fault. That was the tennis racket's fault. However, I reckon Bleak Valley Elizabeth still gets the blame for it. So the sibling might be the... Might the, be the, the tennis, tennis racket, racket. yeah. the money. Yeah. Oh, wow. I like it. That's the sibling right gets to go out and have relationships with people and, and you know, interact yeah. with them. Hang out with the better family. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Well, even too, isn't the sibling only supposed to be like uh, her half sibling, like maybe just Alice's from another? So the sibling gets to leave and go spend time with the good family, the other half of the sibling's yes. family. Elizabeth never gets to leave the house. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. This is still the most lighthearted Bleak Valley we've ever <laughs> yeah, had. Really yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're clearly reaching and we're clearly tired. Yeah. And honestly, we've <laughs> lost it, haven't we? We've completely lost it. Sorry. This episode's kind of crap. <laughs> no, well, I think this is the best bring episode. bring it back around. This is definitely the what best categories? episode. Best episode. Bad book. So uh, I guess we're done with Bleak Valley then? Yes, now we are. All right. <laughs> okay. So let's talk about where it goes in our new book category list, which, in case you haven't heard before or don't remember, it is stupendous with hand gestures, good, meh, bad, and kill it with fire. I think I'm going to toss this one into meh. It's just boring. Nothing horrific about it, even with the billable hour blow up I had that was unwarranted. Nothing good about it. It's just kind of eh. I agree with that, actually. Yeah, there is literally nothing special about this book. Like when Raven said, let's all be positive and think about our favorite moment. And I was like, um, right up until Wing started talking about that moment where Jessica was nice about the serving staff at the country club. Um, so, yeah, there there is nothing about this. It just has to be eh. Well, I, I honestly expected both of you to put this in, in uh, bad. So I'm quite heartened that you both put it in meh, which is a bit of a weird thing to say. But I too would put it in meh, because I think there were some good things about it. Like we've mentioned, the uh, Jessica's scheming and the bit where she was being nice about wait staff and so on. And I also think that the foreshadowing was handled well, even though your mileage may vary on that. That. But there were definite bad things about it too, like we've discussed, the fact that it was a scattergun plot full of scenes that weren't really important to anything. And yeah, so overall, a mixed bag and three out of three mez. Yeah. So yeah, 
feel like this was just good. it's just very forgettable. We won't remember it by uh, the time we record the next episode, yeah. which will be in about thirty seconds. Yes. So. <laughs> <laughs> Even though you guys won't have it. For yeah, I think for something to go in bad and obviously kill it with fire. You have to be offended, like, even if you're just offended by how boring it is or... Whereas with this, I was just like, "Eh." I couldn't even muster up a reaction. But having read Wing's massive rant about billable hours, I thought that that was going to be the thing that tipped it into bad. I think Wing is very maturely leaving her issues at home on this. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, even I, like, I went back and read through my recap again, because when we were prepping to record this, I honestly could not remember a damn thing that happened in the book. So I did go back through and reread it. I was like, oh, well, clearly I that was a pointless rant on my part. It was not, it's not even as bad as I make it out to be. It was just kind of this throwaway bit from him that made sense in the context of the conversation. So yeah, like I just, I don't feel any way about this. So it can't be good. It can't be bad. It's just kind of there. Yeah. I think meh is going to be one of those like really insulting categories. Like it feels like middle of the road, but when we say meh, we mean I am searingly indifferent. Like, this book could not exist and I wouldn't notice. Exactly. Whereas at least like something, because we do bring up the class trip and we do bring up Ithig. Now this doesn't make them good by any stretch of the imagination, but they are burned into our brains as events or in the case of Ithig, non-events, you know. They are memorable. Exactly. Whereas this is just like, eh, who cares? That, like, I definitely would, as an author, would hate to be in the meh category most. Like, obviously, I want people to love and have it be stupendous and blah, blah, blah. But I want them to feel more than anything. Yeah. To feel something when they're reading it. To feel nothing. That is such a, that's a failure on my part. Yeah, so, I mean, like, yeah, this would be my Fifty Shades favorite. of Grey would definitely be in Kill It With Fire. But you can't deny that it has put E.L. James on the map whether she deserves it or not you know that's either here or there <laughs> exactly but you know if if you say 50 shades of gray everyone knows People have so even if it yeah. yeah exactly so kill it with fire is kind of positive in a not great way <laughs> i guess since we've introduced these categories we've had a whole lot of meh but over 170 odd books then we are going to be grading on a bell curve so there will be a big peak in the middle of bland, boring nonsense, which is a shame. I, I do think, though, for me at least, thinking back, the so we only began this in 2017. So in early 2017, there would be a run of bad for me. Like they weren't kill it with fire necessarily. They were just, I didn't really feel anything good about them. It was just always meh. But then there is a run towards the end that they're all good to a couple were maybe stupendous. So it'll be interesting to see how it flows out this year as we're putting them in these categories. How much of that can you put down to yourself changing as a reader? Because obviously you got to know the characters more. I will say that a lot of the early books did tend to dwell on New Girl, Let's Bully Her, which I know is a particular trope we all dislike intensely. But do you think if you went back and read some of the early books, which you were so vehemently hating back then, you'd still be as... Now that you know the characters more and you know the situations and the formula that were presented, would they still cause such a visceral? I think I might hate some of them more. <laughs> because at least That's I have so hope. wing. <laughs> there is no depth to my hatred. <laughs> the first time you read about Jessica screwing Elizabeth over by taking the shoes off her feet, for example, that's, it, that's frustrating and annoying. 
this time it happens, I'm infuriated because this is bullshit. It keeps happening over and over again. So I guess the only way it would go flat is if I just stopped caring about anything because none of it matters, in which case everything would just end up in meh. Because there's no change. And I try not to look at, I try to when when we're doing these categories for individual books, I try not to look at the big picture because every book would be pointless then because nothing ever does change. So if I ignore that, I try to focus on just what's happened in the book. So with that in mind, I might like some of them better, but I don't, those first ones are rough. They just, they don't, I think that the authors were struggling to tell a story in this, in these constraints. They were struggling to learn how to talk about the twins as these preteens, not as teenagers since Sweet Molly High came first. Uh, I was struggling with uh, adjusting to this ridiculous setting of Sweet Valley. So I don't know if anything would change going back. Fair, fair. Okay. Okay, I guess that about wraps it up. Yeah. Yeah, so seven minutes of book, 40 minutes of law firms, billable hours, cake. I suspect the cake bit will get cut because... Utterly irrelevant. Really it won't now. Now down. you've called back to it. Bloody hell! <laughs> no, because you can cut that as well. I left a. I left a space. All right. Uh, thank you for listening to our random talks about Jessica and the Money Mix-Up. We may be in a run of hashtag Best JB Suzanne, but this book was boring and just left us feeling very little. Thanks for sticking through it with us. And by through it, I mean through this ridiculous podcast. (laughs) Bye. Cheers, guys. You've been listening to the Sweet Valley Online podcast for number 39, Jessica and the Money Mix-Up, recorded on the 4th of February, 2018. You can access all our past recaps and podcast episodes at sweetvalley.online, which is a member of nostalgicbookshelf.com. Check us out on facebook.com slash sweetvalleyonline or on Tumblr at sweetvalleyonline.tumblr.com. Our music is supplied by Stuart Taylor. He can be contacted at taylorstuart602 at gmail.com for all of your musical needs. We can be found on Twitter as sweetvalley underscore devil's elbow pod and bookshelf underscore raven. Next week, we'll be talking about Sweet Valley Twins number 40, Danny Means Trouble. Be sure to join us on the 16th of February, 2018. Until then, keep an eye out for money stashed in sports bags and remember the importance of billable hours.